Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and I'm joined by a new co- Oh, wait, nope. What's that? Everybody thought that Danielle left the show? Nope, she's still here. Danielle Caroli, what's up? You can't get rid of me. Don't worry. And <laughs> everyone, don't worry. I'm still here. You're not going to have to just listen to John. Um, I am here. <laughs> I'm back. And I'm sure everybody is very, very grateful. I know. <laughs> the gang is back together again. <laughs> and so humble, as always. <laughs> <laughs> listen. We all know that you're the one that holds this whole thing together. I'm just the voice. I, I feel oh, there's so many things I could say, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you are being humble as always. Exactly. Reserved, <laughs> humble. Just well, sure everything's just going swimmingly. Well, how is your vacation from the show? Vacation from podcasting? Yeah. It's been good. I yeah, I guess there is a lot to catch up on. We I think the last time I was recording, I hadn't bred a doe yet and mm-hmm. now I think more than half of my herd has been bred and I actually kind of put the does on pause because they all came into heat 21 days from or 21 days or 24 days or the week I was at convention. So then 21 days from then was a few days ago. And so I just started breeding goats, breeding goats and decided I needed to kind of hold back because otherwise the whole herd would kid in one week. And while there is definitely advantages to that, I just couldn't, I got a little scared. So we're pausing and I'm going to induce the does to come into heat for almost a round two, which will be breeding them next week. And then there's a few I have to just kind of catch again that I couldn't AI. So we'll see what I do with her just because I, my timing, real life, some ch- child's birthday party got in the way. Um, oh, man. Yeah. That- those and dang kids must have been just a terrible kid. It was a horrible, terrible two-year-old. Um, but <laughs> oh, so it's good. Um, we also had my grain nutritionist come to the farm, and I'm waiting results from what she found from doing a forage analysis. So when that happens, I'm excited to kind of bring that conversation to the podcast once we see what she says and other than that we're still milking we had a milk test we did and we're still milking those does they're still going strong and just 
living our best life, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I've seen you in the last month more than I usually do, you know, convention, obviously. But then, yeah, you you were really super nice and came to Alice's uh, two-year-old birthday party um, and got to spend some time with Grace and some other goat people and just chit-chat and kind of enjoy some food. And, yeah, it was a, a good time. You gifted Alice with a stuffed goat. I thank you so much for not giving her a real one. Um, I know, poor tyranny. I, I, I just, I feel, I felt so bad when she was like, "Please, please." There was a comment made and about maybe next year, and obviously it was a joke. But um, <laughs> there was a comment made about maybe next year we'll give her a real one, and I just, I was like, "Oh no, don't worry, tyranny. We won't do that to you. If it was just John, oh, a hundred percent. But we won't do that." Oh, to you. oh. Well, okay, good. So let's just make sure I keep Tierney around. Exactly. Won't have to worry about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah what's so, going on there? Oh, it's just been hectic. Um, hey, folks, we took a week off. That's the first time we've done that in a really long time. Um, and the reason for that was work for me has been crazy. Your your work and your actual job has been busy so we just decided to take a week off and kind of just relax not really relax because we were busy but you know just not have to worry about that extra thing right so uh you know alleviate the plate a little bit and then uh you know i have hockey games and then at hockey game friday I had uh alice's birthday on uh saturday which Tierney just knocked out of the park. Like everybody's like, "Oh my god, you did a good job." I was like, "Oh no, 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 that yeah. was all Tierney." You just showed that up. Was, yeah, I mean, I, I I put stuff in the car for her, and even she did most of that because I, unfortunately I was working. So, um, I mean, she killed it. She did a carnival theme or or Dutchess County Fair type theme. Um, she even had like the real goldfish game, um, which somehow we still have three goldfish here because. You and Grace decided that you didn't want to take any home. No, I have fun. a no live animals in my car policy. That <laughs> that's a lie. Well, whatever you, whatever you know, you believe. But <laughs> well, I don't believe it. You have a, you have your dolly, you know, and and goats. I know there's been a goat or two in your car. <laughs> Maybe the truck. No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, so so we did that, and then um, I'm officially done breeding goats. Uh, hopefully, knock on wood. Um, we bred our last goat on Saturday, I believe it was. Yeah, it was the morning of the party. I was like, "Oh man, Tierney's gonna kill me," but uh, we got. I had to shower anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually that breeding was kind of a hot button uh, idea there, which um, is the the topic for the week. I know we're. We're getting a little thick with chit chat here, as some of our listeners say. Uh, but um, yeah, this week we're going to be talking about some hot button stuff. Um, first, I guess we'll kind of jump right into uh, the ad good news for the week, which really there isn't much to report on. But Danielle, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners what's been going on? So, if for those who aren't aware, while we were at convention, the board did pass some 
travel budget expenses with the plan that the executive committee would be able to visit Spindale where the office is and as needed travel assume duties while people are being hired and fill in and so I believe they've gone back and forth different members of the executive committee have made appearances at Spindell and done some work and are just really monitoring what is going on and the issues that are arising at the office and influencing the registration paper process and just really boots on the ground and trying to move forward and also, oh my goodness, communicate too. I mean, there is, for people who don't, who aren't aware, there is now a separate Facebook page, the ADGA Executive Committee page, that sole responsibility is making sure the members are informed of different situations that may arise or statuses of the website, if it's down, if it's up, um, just being there as a resource so that it's so people are aware of what's going on and um, able to adapt. So, I mean, it's only been, it's not even been a week since, or sorry, not a week. It's not even been a month since convention has occurred, but they are working hard. And so I'm hopeful that things, and it seems progress is being made. So I think this is a good thing, but yeah, if you're not following the ADGA executive committee page, you probably want to just follow it or at least know it exists so that if there is an issue, you know how to reach out to the executive committee. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to echo that. I mean, this this executive committee has gone above and beyond because they have the same goal that we all do, and that's to register our dairy goats and make sure that ADGA is around. Um, I, I am in the camp that I believe if it wasn't for these hardworking people, uh, Adka's doors might have closed. I mean, sitting in on the board meeting, I mean, it was pretty bleak, right? There, there was a lot of issues that have compounded. And if we didn't have these, uh, people, you know, jetting in with their capes on ready to save the day, I don't know if we, if it would be around. So a huge shout out to them. Um, I will echo as I always have these last couple of weeks, um, just to be respectful and thankful for these, these people, they're taking a lot of time from their farms, their lives. Um, some of them are working full-time hours to try to get the ship right. So, uh, big thank you to them. And, uh, if you plan to, um, you don't have to, but if you want to send in a card to the office, uh, feel free to give the employees little thank you um it definitely goes a long way my dog just made the weirdest noise ever at least it's your dog this time (laughs) yeah i don't know what that was like a hairball or something um but yeah it uh it's it's you know i just i just see what they're doing and and am thankful uh but uh yeah we'll we'll get away from that chit chat and we'll go straight into the topic we've got a lot to talk about um, this is going to be hot button part 
two, I guess, two or three by, by now. I think two. I think two. And we did kind of gear these hot button topics to the time of year. There's a little bit of seasonality to them. We're talking breeding season. We're talking bucks. We're talking winter. So we just kind of geared it to the season that we're in, the rut, the fall, whatever you want to call it. Um, So yeah, we have hot buttons and we're just going to kind of talk about our opinions on them and see where we fall on these. You know, some of these might have been covered by other outlets here, but we're going to cover them here as well. Uh, So the first one, which was just everybody saw it. Everybody was debating it. Everybody has an opinion on this. What's let's talk about the defrost debate as far as how you defrost your your straws of semen before AIing a doe. Let's let's you go first because you're the one that actually has done AI. Um, I haven't done it myself, but I have my own opinion too. Okay, so my opinion is so back up really quick but the defrost debate is whether it's more or whether you should be have more success with using body heat to defrost or if you should use water i will say if you're using water if the straw is sitting in water you want to make sure you are using distilled water because otherwise minerals and impurity in the in your tap water or wherever you're getting your water from may damage the straw. So if you are using a thaw jar and putting the wa- this, the straw directly in the water, make sure it is distilled. So it's the debate is whether or not, you know, use water, a water, warm water bath, use your body heat. I actually, several years ago, I had access to many straws of bucks who were collected and basically at the time they might have been something or they were collected as insurance but fast forward 20 years or so there just really wasn't any worth in those bucks and so they're sitting in the tank and so what did we do was we actually did a whole kind of science experiment with a bunch of 4-H kids and we defrosted straws, the same buck, same straws, same collection. I mean, they're all, they were all in the goblet together. It wasn't even, you know, some are in the top goblet, some are in the bottom goblet or, you know, a different canister or whatever. So handled exactly the same, but we defrosted them in different ways and looked them out, looked at them under the microscope. And so in this, we defrosted using the body heat. We defrosted using um, using a thaw jar and keeping the water at a nice, you know, 97 degree, 96 degree, 98 degree temperature. And then we also actually did an ice bath too, because there are some processors who swear by an ice bath as well. And so we were able to look at all of those straws under the microscope and see the difference. And honestly, to the naked eye, and maybe if you were to get down and use maybe like an eye sperm or different things, there might have been a difference. But to the naked eye, the thaw jar and the body heat really didn't do 
anything different. I mean, maybe they were a little stronger in the thaw jar, but really didn't have any shocking differences. In the ice water bath, for what we saw, we saw a little bit more damage actually in the motility of the sperm. And they were a little bit more inclined to not go in a straight a straight line to um, circle more. And so it looked a little bit more like the tails are damaged. Again, they could be just warming up. Um, there was a little bit of, you know, other factors involved. But on this semi-scientific level, I really didn't see that much difference in the in uh, straws that had been thawed in like using just body heat or um, or in a thaw jar. So I think, in my opinion, long story short, my opinion is do what works best for you and what you're comfortable with. Yeah, that's that's my opinion as well. I mean, if you're going to use the water, go for it. If you're going to use your under boob or your armpit or what have you, go for it. No big deal. Uh, whatever you're most comfortable with and whatever you think is the the right road for success for you. I mean, it's just it's just that simple. I'm enough enough said for that. You you broke that down perfectly. Uh, here's another debate: AIing versus live breeding. Um, I guess I'll I'll take this uh, first. Um, I choose. Most of the time, 99% of the time to live breed my does. Um, I have my bucks for a reason. And yes, you know, down the road, if I want to create a, my own herd sire, I'll probably try to AI um, to something that I think will work well. Uh, but for me, if I want to get my does bred and I'm not waiting for the perfect heat cycle and life happens like it did to you this week, Danielle, and you miss out on that perfect timing to AI, I don't have to wait another 21 days. I'm got my bucks here i jump them before the party starts and i well, i don't jump them my buck jumps them let's make sure that that's clear <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know my buck jumps them and uh bada bing bada boom good to go uh but i have tried aiing in the past on one doe uh and probably in the next year or two uh we'll try to create our own herd sire using something special and go that route but for me um, to build the consistency in my herd, I'm going to use my bucks first. Right. And this is kind of when we were thinking of like the hot button issues, this was something I was actually wrestling with a bit. And part of it was I had these breeding plans and some of them were changing just based on situational things. Some of it timing, some of it the stress of getting a dough bread and not necessarily liking what I was seeing when I looked, um, looked at her with the speculum and, but then also going, okay, I have all these, I have these bucks here. I have access to bucks, but I also have all these bucks in the tank. And where is it better to go and what direction to go? And, I think this year I'm looking at the tank and 
there's animals in there where that I want to use, but I just don't necessarily know if they're going to put me where I need to be in that next generation. And so I don't know if my tank is currently where I would need it to be to, or sorry, excuse me, my tanks <laughs> are currently where I need them to be to really propel my breeding program forward. Plus, when I AI a doe, my herd is small enough that my bucks, and I mean, I I offer stud service out, and so my bucks get used pretty heavily throughout the breeding season, but my that means it's one less animal my buck, one of my bucks is not breeding and is being, you know, the genetics are being brought in through AI, which is fine. And I've, I mean, one of my herd sires is an AI baby. So it's not like AI isn't a helpful tool, but I also want to move like forward with what my bucks are doing too. And so when you breed a doe AI and you're taking away from that, is it really bringing your herd completely in a direction that you want to go or you know, is it the single or is it the herd that is going to be helped by that AI? And so this year, particularly as timing and trying to kind of, I'm looking at my schedule with breedings and some of them just seem to be lining up really well. And okay, like I said, I'll have a group of does here and then I'll have a week break to maybe get a little bit of sleep. I don't know. Probably not. Let's be honest here. But um, but then the next week I'll have the next round and, and then I look at my schedule and realize that I'm probably not going to want to have young kids on the ground between um, this week and this week because I'm going to be away doing a judging a show. So it's easier if my kids are um, definitely born and on the ground by then, or I'm going to have to wait a cycle. So I think sometimes live is just so much more, like you said, and echoing what you said, live is so much more a sure thing usually that while there is benefits to AI, and like I said, I love an AI. I mean, my one herd sire is a son of an AI that we used to create him. So we had a homebred herd sire with an outcross line, um, I'm breeding actually four doe, like four does in my herd or daughter or, you know, products of AI that are going to be freshening. So it is a tool that I use heavily, but I think this year I'm just kind of, it's not the means to the end I'm looking for this year. And my goals in terms of some of these, and while I'm hopeful some of my AIs will take, I think some with having such a crazy year this year in terms of who took and who didn't, I honestly think some, my goal is just to get those pregnant at this point and go from there versus really creating these magical special kids from this hard to find buck or anything. But that's just my life right now. So, Well, that plus you can use your junior herd sire to breed those does and Going on that, uh, let's move on to the next topic, which is, do you prefer to use a young buck or an old buck? Right. So do you want to answer this first, or do you want me to take this one? Uh, yeah, I, I'll go first. That's fine. 
Um, so it doesn't really matter to me. Um, I, I by no means am using like super old bucks in my herd. I think the oldest one will be uh, four this spring. No, we three about this. Yeah, he'll be three. I, he's just so big. I always forget. Uh, he'll be three this spring. So, um, and that'll be the oldest buck besides Orion, who was three going on four when I sold him. Um, but really, I, I consider those still pretty young bucks. You know, they're definitely not proven out. Um, so I guess I kind of go for young. I mean, shoot, I've got a junior herd sire here that'll be a year next spring. Um, and I used him on uh, five does. So, yeah, we kind of go for the young bucks. I like to roll the dice, I guess. Um, you know, I also get these bucks usually from first fresheners. Um, but I see, I can see the appeal to using an older proven out buck, you know, a buck that you've got bun- a bunch of udders that you can look at on his daughters. Um, you can see their general appearance as they mature. Uh, I, c- I can definitely see the, the validity to that. Um, but for me, I kind of tend to just stray to the young bucks and that's not a bad thing. I don't think, um, as long as you're using the right ones and you know, you've got a feel for what your program needs and what those bucks have to offer in their pedigree and genetics, uh, then go for it. Right. And I think about it in terms of those buck kids that you're using or your yearling bucks are probably the most recent in general, I mean, obviously people buy mature bucks as well and add them in that way. But so often when you're adding a buck to your herd, it's a young animal. But the thing is, you're doing that within a year period. So what that young, what you want that young buck to do is potentially the current things and the current needs of your herd. And that is the direction you're moving with your herd and going that way. So your older buck, who you may have had for seven years, and maybe you do see his bammer, the mammary systems he throws, and you know what he can do. I tend to think of him as like the old, reliable animal that you know he's going to improve rumps. And so you have a doe who's a little steep. All right, yes, this is where I want to go. Or his mammary systems, you're going to be like, oh, I hope they turn out okay, but I may lose this in the mammary system. I may have to bring in something else to improve teat placement. Or maybe I'm not going to get the dairy strength I want from him. But you know what he's going to throw. But at the same time, that's kind of like the, all right, yes, uh, you know, there's no new tricks. There's no, there's no excitement there. I think, I mean, yes, you can get some, a lot of stability and consistency, but I think the young bucks typically are where there's more excitement to be had because they've been chosen to directly influence your program specifically within the last year for the most part, or, you know, two years. Yeah. And well, you know, you've got the, sorry to interrupt, but you've no, no, got no, go the, you've got, say, say there's like a six or seven year old buck that you want to purchase. And I'm not saying that you're right or wrong for wanting to do that, but that buck is six or seven years, depending on age, behind 
whatever new genetics you're bringing in, you know, that's like saying, you know, uh, I don't know, a spotlight sale buck from 2012. So he's a 10 year old buck, but he's still able to produce semen and do his thing. Or even if you're buying straws from him, let's say that too. Um, like you're, and this is like scatterbrained right now. This is like, I'm speaking specifically for Oberhasley because it's what I know, obviously. Right. That's um, I was going to say. This is definitely an Oberhasley <laughs> perspective, but continue. Right, right. So, uh, you know, those, those genetics from 7, 10, 12 years ago, whatever, um, you're going to be a lot further behind with those kids hitting the ground than, say, something from a really good herd uh, that's you buy as a junior kid or it's a yearling buck that you're buying, buying semen from or whatever, um, they're going to be just so far progressed. Uh, Oberhasley have just come such a far away that if you kind of go back too far, not saying that the old stuff won't work and it just is obsolete because that's, you know, every, every cane of semen has got its purpose. But I just think that you're going to be rolling the dice a lot more than if you use something from current genetics that are being used and you're, you know, seeing good results from. No, exactly. It's definitely, I mean, there is that caveat of there are some breeds where you can go back and no question be able to bring in a buck even from for in AI and go into your tank and pull out something from the 1980s and have a daughter that is competitive as they come and mm-hmm. is something that will potentially win her class even at nationals or go national champion. There are breeds that you can go deep into the tank and pull out animals that and produce animals that are going to be competitive. But then there also are breeds that just are developing and moving in different directions and what you could use and, or what you could use from several years ago, just might not do the trick and be what you need from the herd and i think ultimate like for me though i think it just comes down to whether it's kind of the shiny like what's shiny and new um, (laughs) when i'm looking at breeding animals but also sometimes those decisions are based on i need something for this animal and where and i'm going out and by knowing that like I look at my one doe and and currently her or I had a son from her in my herd and I have a daughter from a buck I previously had and I really like the daughter but I just didn't want to repeat the breeding again and so when you only have so many herd sires it's like okay what do I do and I mean this is one of my favorite does, one of my most successful does. And I also know that she's not an AI candidate. So this is one of my older does too. And I know that she's not a great AI candidate. We've AI'd her before, but typically when we AI her, we have to sedate her a little bit. Like there's just all these factors in play and now she's older. And so when I went out to look for my new herd sire, I knew that most likely he was here to breed her and so, yes, I'm going to use a young buck on this older doe and one of my best does because 
I want what he's bringing to the table and I want what he's contributing. And that's why he's in my herd and working in my herd. And maybe it won't turn out, but also, I mean, we talked about your Oberhasley. I raise Nubians. Sometimes the consistency there, you wonder where the heck did this come from and how did this <laughs> pop up? Because it's just sometimes the breed is just not as consistent as some of the other breeds. So I, you're rolling the dice anyway. And so I sometimes think those young bucks from are more of a better way to roll the dice and have success. As an Oberhasley breeder, I can tell you right now, uh, if I were to dip into some older stuff, I wouldn't see the kind of changes in my herd that um, I'm seeing now. Um, and this is coming from a guy that started with Oberhasley that are very old, old style Oberhasley, and we've come a long way with them. Um, but every breed's different. I mean, you can go, you can dip into old Toggenberg stuff and still get some pretty dang good looking Toggenbergs. Um, so it's just, it's definitely breed specific, I believe. Now I have a question for the Oberhasley breeder and you. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have a really solid 11-year-old doe bred to some kind of current buck. Would that be worth considering? Does that make sense? Uh, considering to like bring in, like, or... so let's say you were looking for a new herd sire. And oh, I yeah, no. No. <laughs> so, um <laughs> I see what you're saying. So you're saying if I wanted to breed a new herd sire, um, use use a younger buck on my old doe and see if that'll create. And, well, not necessarily, you know, not even not necessarily even like your doe, but like, do you? And this is more, I guess, you specifically, and I by no means talking about the breed or animals in general. But would you? I've he- I'm hearing a lot of you saying the genetics you have to have these younger animals. Would you yeah. use an old solid? 11 year old competitive doe if she was bred to a really young hot buck would you keep or would you bring in a doe or a buck kid from her to use it as a herd sire yourself or are you gonna go more towards those younger younger does uh, i mean i would definitely lean towards the younger does just because um it would have to be like a really special old doe, older doe that's 10 or 11 or whatever age doe um you know you've got the brambles out there you've got the joyouses who would be a little bit older now if she hadn't died uh you would have had you know the venties and honestly i don't think i would turn to them you know there's no secret that i talk to kurt schnipke a lot about his animals and you know when discussing future herd sires if or, you know, animals that I would want to add in, say a doe kid or whatever, I'm not really looking at the older stuff. And he'll be the first one to tell you that. I've made a list breaking down every animal in his herd, what lines they come from, uh, what they're producing in the milk pail. Uh, Just a lot of different, you know, what I'm looking at when I'm seeing them uh, phenotypically um, and, you know, pros and cons. and, And honestly, None of them are old does. I think the oldest one on the list is three, maybe four. Um, but <laughs> I, I honestly, like, there's nothing against the older does. They, they've gotten the breed where they are. But I believe that, especially with Oberhasley, 
if we are going to keep progressing, you know, these kids are supposed to be a better version of their dam and sire. Um, I'm, I usually, my brain just always takes right to the younger stuff to see what there is. And some of it doesn't even have udders and they're, I'm placing them over some of the older stuff. Um, but yeah, so for me, it would have to be a really special doe. Oh, it makes sense. I was just kind of curious as we were going on this discussion, like, would that change with different parameters and just, you know, throwing it at you to see what you oh, yeah. say about that. No, I like that. that was a great conversation right there. That was fun. Um, I'm sure some people are going to be like, you're wrong, John, but hey, this is my opinion. This is a yeah, hot no, button exactly. type deal. And that's the whole point of hot button <laughs> topics that some work for some people. I mean, I think, who was it when we were talking spotlight sale that talked about how their spotlight sale animal was from a young buck and usually they don't do th- i don't I, I forget which breeder it was but usually they won't necessarily use a young buck on one of their top does but they just had faith in him but so even other breeders are going to have different opinions and mm-hmm. kind of as we were talking about and you know different years different thoughts and different programs just to kind of get where we are and thought processes from one day might change the next just as life goes on as life is going on um there's people that are in the camp of they want to breed their does to kid in like december and january and february and there's other people in the camp that are you know they want march april may sometimes later so for you are you an early breeder or are you a late breeder i am currently a later breeder i just do not quite have the setup at the moment to really want to breed early and that may change and I am seeing that as my judging schedule starts getting filled up and different pulls and ties in terms of making sure there's somebody to feed kids because ultimately chore help is great. And, but if you have to feed kids four times a day, a lot of that falls on me. And so for me to be able to pick up and leave, I can probably get somebody to cover midday feedings as well. But then can I really get somebody to cover my midnight feedings? And so I understand why people tend to go early and I maybe will consider that, but I just have to factor in that my barn is not connected to where I live. And so I have to be careful in terms of bad weather to make sure I can get to the goats and I mean, I can drive my truck, but you know, there's still like, I don't want to be kidding out in snow because it just makes my life that much more difficult. So, um, and then my barn does get really cold in the winter. So I lose iodine, um, just my iodine freezes. And so Mm -hmm. cleanliness milk, you know, and milking is an issue and there's just so much more involved in it that for a human standpoint, for a logistic standpoint, I really can't justify at this moment 
breeding earlier in the year. And so I do like my March and April kids. I I will have Ugh. May kids, but I and I've had June kids. Ugh. Necessarily think I want to play with that June pool ever again. It just never quite I mean, I've only done it a few. I think I actually I even had July kids one year. Um and that actually worked out really well for the dough. Um, we had, (laughs) we had July 4th babies and I may or may not have delivered the kids after spending some time discussing goats and, um, (laughs) and watching the fireworks and then delivered babies. And I mean, it went fine. And then the doe actually appraised two or three weeks later and she got a, I don't know if it was her highest score, but she definitely went excellent. So for her, it wasn't bad, but I just don't like really, really late kids. But I do, I can raise a March or April kid, no problem. And so I like that. I just, March is fine for me. When I start getting into April, that's when I just, ugh, I don't like them. I hate them. I had an April 29th kid this year, and I actually, she just went to Wisconsin. Um, and she, she's a perfectly fine doe, but when you're looking in a pen of early March kids, and then you've got this late April 29th kid, it's just like, my eye hates it because she's smaller. Obviously she had her own issues where she dealt with E. coli and you know, she just had a tough first couple days. It kind of set her back. So she's a smaller doe. She'll catch up. But right, and she she looked nice. She was a nice doe. It wasn't yeah. that she wasn't nice in it, or when she wasn't growing. You were just dealing with the fact that you she was the tiny one in the pen. Right. I mean, I've got March kids that I could I could have bred them a week ago when they were all in heat, and trust me, I wanted to, but Tierney would have divorced me. Um, but I just I don't like the April kids. I've never had luck with April kids. Or May kids. One year I had May kids and it was the worst. And it didn't help that I had just started out. So yeah, it just wasn't great. Um, so really March is my sweet spot. That's where I like them because March, by the time Nationals comes in July, they, with my lines, I know what they're going to do and they should be in a decent spot for Nationals. And then as far as, you know, when fair comes around, they really hit their stride for fair week. Um, it's just how it happens. But when I start deviating and I've got an April 4th kid and later they just don't look right for county fair and, and the fairs that we go to, um, they just hit a weird growth stage. So for me, with what we do with our herd as far as showing goes, uh, March is really where I want to be. You also like to show those kids too. And that's probably part of it. <laughs> they do well. No, they do. They do. Uh, I mean, you know. Uh, So moving on, um, this is one of your topics, apple cider vinegar and water. All right. So this is, does it work? Does it not work? And my opinion is I don't necessarily believe it works. Um, I actually have never really done it but i've 
heard so many people who swear by it, so many people who do it, and they get the same ratio. I don't really see a difference when people on the whole level start putting apple cider vinegar in and are they getting a lot of dose? I don't know if it's influencing anything enough to really cause changes in the animals. And so I just don't necessarily know if it's worth it to do. Um, so I kind of stay away from it. And while I've it's had buck not- years, I've also had doe years. So I don't know. It's just, I think it's just nonsense. So for those that don't know the apple cider vinegar thing, they say if you add apple cider uh, apple cider vinegar to water, uh, it, it enhances the alkaline level of the gut, making it unwelcoming for parasites. Well, but this isn't even for parasites. This is to make it so that it's more. I, I believe it's out. You're, you're saying alkaline, and I'm saying I'm believing it's more alkaline. They're saying it's more alkaline even in the reproductive tract. So. The males are producing more female sperm and the female sperm in the female reproductive tract after they've been bred are more successful at um, penetrating the egg. Mm. I think that's just crap. (laughs) It'll make your hair shiny, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if if people want to give it to their animals that are having trouble being bred and they think that that works for them, great. But for me, I think it's crap. Absolute crap. My dad takes a shot of apple cider vinegar every morning. And he's like, oh, give it a try. Oh my God, that's so funny. I I just, I'm like, no, that's, first of all, it's disgusting. Second of all, if I, yeah, if I, if I want to do something to help my gut or whatever, I'll just, Take a shot of probios from the tube, you know? <laughs> Ew, after the goats have been nibbling on it and the yeah, extra yeah, probios is around the edge and dried up and it's been in all these goats' mouths, you're just going to share it with them? That's disgusting. Yeah, you know, why not? Those are the Eat a great, yogurt. Those are, that's the bacteria that you need. That's the good bacteria. The healthy gut bacteria. <laughs> You know, these people selling the pills, I get the same thing for free right on the farm. Next <laughs> Ugh, never mind. We're not. Sorry, I was choking on pri- probios. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here, here's, here's one off the cuff since we're grossing each other up. I saw a picture from a collection the other day. Okay. And I don't know if you saw this picture. I don't remember who it was, but I'm sure if they listen, they'll let me know. Their buck missed, and it got on their shirt and on their face, and instead of wiping it off like a sane human being, they're like, hey, let me take a picture. Absolutely not. That's disgusting. That's the last thing I want is my buck's stuff all over me. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) bad enough yeah (laughs) and this is the podcast where danielle gags and then john gags and then danielle gags again um Uh, yeah i saw that picture and i was like (laughs) um i'm gonna go with it's a no for me like listen i know we deal with bucks and does and 
we birth out baby kids and fluids get all over. But like, I try and remove those fluids, whether it's like amniotic fluids oh, or. I might even discharge. just like dry right now. Yeah. <laughs> Hope everybody's not eating. We'll have to put a giant disclaimer here. But Ugh. um, like uh, clean cleanliness is good. I mean, I cringe and I gag when I'm milking a dough and I typically the way I milk my doughs is it's like semi from behind semi from the side when especially when I'm hand milking and there's been a few times recently where they've been in heat and I didn't realize and oh, ugh, yeah. it's just that's just yeah, gross in itself and or so they wag like, their tail while you're milking them and yep yep yeah ugh. yeah so just yeah. no like I guess like maybe it's like you either laugh or you cry and is this either you either take a picture or you just like can't handle it anymore but I I don't know that's just oh god yeah Uh, moving on well well, not really moving on well let's go to cleanliness Uh, really quick and just go to do you think you can remove the buck smell with like a goat milk soap or a coffee soap absolutely absolutely and that's the only thing that gets the buck smell out of me and this is coming from a guy that has a wife that absolutely is traumatized by the buck scent from when she was pregnant that was the one thing that made her sick um so she when she smells it now it's like it's like freaking flashbacks right so she tells me to wash up and if I'm not hopping in the shower, cause it's just on my hands. Um, I totally use goat milk soap and it gets it right out. I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, we want a, a basket of, uh, uh, Meadowview, uh, soap, bush and peckle or whatever, um, for at a show. And I've been using that, even though we have a tote downstairs somewhere of a bunch of soap. Um, but I've been using that and it's just, it works wonders. And I send messages every time. Oh man, you saved my marriage tonight. <laughs> um, but it, it works, man. And I mean, you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> no, I do like it. I tend to, sometimes I feel like I just can't smell the bucks anymore, which is probably like a good thing, but not a good thing. Like it's a good thing for me personally, but like, for those around me, it's definitely not a good thing because I'm still in the, oh, I, I don't think I smell like a buck and I'm not going to like immediately get out of my barn clothes because they're disgust. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if I'm smelling it as much as everybody else is smelling it around me. So it's hard for me to say. But when I know like I was like this today I had to breed a doe and it was rainy. And so my bucks are just like extra gross because everything is just humid and it's miserable and sticky. Um, I knew I just like, it was bad and I could smell it then. And I mean, I can smell it, but it's just like that lingering scent is where I start to question like whether or not I've gotten crazy or whatever. But um, (laughs) I do love a cough. I feel like the coffee soap, just gets rid of it plus you know it's coffee coffee how could you go wrong yeah (laughs) yeah coffee i knew it that's why yeah um 
let's let's kind of move into some more bucket centered stuff. Um, should you market straws from your buck for what they've already done and proven, as far as daughters goes, um, when you're trying to sell those straws, or are you marketing them for what's behind them and where they're going in your eyes? So basically that's saying, so well to break it down for people listening, basically that's saying, um, if you have a young buck that you know is going to do great, you think is going to do great things, there's no guarantees with dairy goats. Uh, but so instead of a young buck being five for five straws for 200 bucks or 250, um, you're selling them five straws for four or 500 bucks. Um, and this is obviously standard prices, not Nigerian prices. Cause I know they go for much more. Um, my thought as far as this goes, it depends on the buck, but uh, like Voss, he's got one daughter with another. He's got a lot behind him. I market his straws accordingly. Uh, and they're not cheap. Um, and then as far as Ozzy, who is owned by Kurt Schnipke, um, he's going to market it however he feels. If he were mine, I'd probably do the same thing because I know it's behind him. What about you? I tend to think that when you're buying the straws, the price does come from what they've done and like what their daughters have accomplished at least in nubians i don't know if that's just it's with every breed i'm just weird no 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 but i don't i don't think i don't necessarily (laughs) think it's with every breed that's what i'm saying like in nubians that buck and that semen is really only worth what the daughters have done and i don't know if that's just because there's a lot of different gene pools and you can have access to genetics and it's easier to procure genetics and go in different ways or people are moving in all these different ways. So, but I think that for the most part, the Nubian market is very much, we want the results first. Right. But then you you go into other breeds Oh, I was going to say, you know, you want you want that buck that uh, has a lot of data and, you know, proven out daughters behind him where you can be like, oh, such and such buck has the Midas touch, you know? Yes, but I'm also thinking you go into other <laughs> breeds and it is what those genetics are. I mean, and it kind of goes back to that, like, young buck versus older buck debate like sometimes you're just going for pedigree anyway and it's not what they've done or but more of what they can do and i mean that even works with unproven ai bucks that you get from somebody's tank that they collected and they like him but they never tested their daughters but you know it's there and it's going to work for you hopefully as well um Mm -hmm. but there are animals that the genetics are interesting and unique and so maybe there's more value in them even as a young kid because they just bring something to the table that you really can't get otherwise and whether he's an ai son of a fancy old dead buck from a breed that 
you're just not using or the dam and it's just so there's so much consistency or there's just breeds that breed a little bit more true and consistent so you can put value on a really really young buck and go okay I'm gonna breed A to B and yeah this is what I'm going to get and so I think in Nubians those young bucks are usually just kept and collected to just kind of wait a bit and see what happens. Right. But in other breeds, uh, I mean, we had an Alpine buck that came to a collection here that he was just a baby and every single straw of his was sold and accounted for plus some because he came from such a unique and, but also strong pedigree. So I mean, and yes, that happens in Nubians too, but I just, you don't see that as much. It's more, I mean, Nigerians occasionally as well that we want this, that there's no data behind this buck, but he comes from a killer pedigree. And this is the only way to get those genetics in your herd. Um, Or, I mean, Nigerians are usually, the breed is usually a lot of um, biosecurity issues too, or not issues, sorry, excuse me, but biosecurity concerns. And so sometimes AI is the best option to bring in animals and use animals that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Can I can I add a hot take to that? Sure. Since you brought up since you brought up Nigerians. Yes. Uh, standard breeders <laughs> standard breeders do not value their animals as much as Nigerian breeders value theirs. And when I say value, I mean putting price tag on their animals as far as straws of semen or live animals. Uh, a standard breeder severely, severely undervalue our stock and our worth. Um, you know, you're seeing some not great Nigerians being sold for 900 to a thousand dollars which, you know, are animals that if I was still breeding Nigerians, I wouldn't even touch. But then right. you've got some really well put together Alpines or Nubians or whatever, and they're going for $400 because the market's not there for them. I think if everybody got together and said, hey, this industry, like prices of feed is going up, prices to take care of these animals, gas to go to shows, you know, linear appraisal, blah, 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 blah. It's all going up. So we all need to up our prices on our animals if we want to survive. So I think we need to get with the program as far as Nigerian breeder, you know, get on that same level with ND breeders and, and really value our animals. And I see time and time again, quality matters. And you get, I don't want to say you get what you pay for, but you do get what you paid for. So if you're looking for a deal, your deal is going to come with a lot of hidden expenses down the line. If you're able to find a nice quality animal, you're more likely to have success, whether it's in ease of management or genetic potential and what you're going to see in the show ring. But it is true that if you're not valuing your animals, nobody else is going to value them and you're just ultimately hurting yourself. Look at like, I don't know, we'll say, we'll just say the John Keynes of the world, right? That have decent stuff are coming up 
Um, you know, they're selling theirs for 400, 500 bucks. And there's even top tier breeders who are selling animals for five, six, seven hundred dollars. But then you look across the road at these Nigerian breeders, um, and some of them are, yes, well worth the, the price of um, participation. But some of them, I mean, they need, need to go to a, an auction, right? But they're just going for way much more. I just think as a totality, uh, we need to get on the same level just to you know, survive. Um, but yeah, let's do, since we've got, we're at an hour, let's do um, two more hot takes per person. So you go first. All right. How about using multiple bucks on a doe during one heat cycle? What do you think of this? I mean, are we doing that like using like on purpose using two bucks? I think. Yes. Um, I mean, why so, don't you just flip a coin to decide which buck you want to use? Well, but what if you want to use two bucks? Like, what if then, you are like, oh, I have two bucks. I don't know which one I want to see or both have merits. And she could very easily have twins and one could be from one buck and one could be from another. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a fun game to play. Uh, I don't think I'd ever use that. Um, and I know there's people that do that for when, like, they're AI and the AI using some older stuff and then breed them to a live buck. Um, and that's all fine and good. My, my thinking behind that is if you really want to uh, get the most out of that dough by using multiple bucks, maybe go and get her eggs collected and fertilized and, you know, have, have keep more kids that way. Um, I just, I get it. You want to, you want to get as many genetic, possibilities as possible see which one works best yada 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 for me um i just i i'm not at a place where i really would want to try that plus shoot it takes so long right now to get dna results back that i don't know if i would want to i would want to roll the dice and that's kind of when we were putting together this and why i asked is because i was doing a driveway breeding and i was the weather had just changed. My buck just really wasn't up for the task. And I knew if I were to put the junior buck on or let the junior buck out, oh, he'd be more than happy to help. But it was a driveway breeding for a young family who the thought of having to explain how to DNA, it's not that DNA is even complicated to do, but just that extra step in the process for mm -hmm. having kids on the ground and registering them just kind of became a thought of, is this worth it? And in this case, I was like, absolutely not. This is way too complicated of a procedure for where they are in their operation. And so if this, I mean, and the buck did get this dough, but if he didn't get her and she doesn't take, she'll get bred again and it'll be fine. But I think about it more for my herd too. And it's like, Oh, if I'm on the fence, do I just kind of go, okay, you breed her and you breed her and we'll see what happens. I mean, there's even thoughts and I don't necessarily even know if they're true, but so in order for an egg to be fertilized, the 
sperm of a buck needs to kind of break down the barrier of the egg in order to allow one sperm in. And so there are people who believe that having competition, not just from other sperm of the same animal, but other sperm of a different buck kind of changes things and allows more success. And um, again, I don't, I haven't looked at the research or if there even is research to say that that would help in uh, conception rates or anything. I just go, okay, maybe, so, you know, maybe there is a doe and maybe if she's older and I do have a few hot bucks that I would want to see what I would get out, maybe I would do it. But I also just know that in my management, it becomes an issue because I want those kids to leave early and to sell them without being comfortable and saying who their sire is. That gets a little tricky. Or if they have multiple bucks and maybe I haven't sold the buck kids from this doe very heavily to market them, all of a sudden I'm waiting on DNA. So while I think it's a tool and I think we're blessed to have DNA options so we can use it as needed, I think it's something that I would use in my program very sparingly. You know, you're going through and all of a sudden, I am your father. We're not going, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> oh, I wasn't the a envelope. The results guy. are in and... <laughs> Yeah, no, I wasn't a Jerry Springer guy or a Maury po- Povich guy. You were probably more of a Maury Povich fan. I don't no? know if I've even watched a full episode of any of it, but. Well, I forgot. You're just a baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was a good hot take. Here's here's one for me. Uh, second to last one for me. Uh, letting others borrow your bucks. Danielle, go ahead. I... <laughs> This is, I'm, I'm a little surprised you put this one on there, but, um, mm-hmm. oh, okay. If you're going there, we're going to go there. Um, right. I am very cautious when I let anyone use my bucks. I do offer stud service, but when I do, I do not let those does in the buck pens. They are outside in the grass, it is a breeder. Get away from her. Breeder again, you're done. Um, they're tested. The They're tested for, you know, the diseases. But then also, I mean, I'm concerned about parasites. I'm concerned about other things as well. So... It's very much a no-nonsense, let's-get-the-job-done situation, and we're done. And oh, it's over with. I mean, we bred a doe today, and I think we were the guy had left within 15 minutes. Like, it was the doe was in a great heat, the buck bred her, he recovered, he bred her again, we're done. This was out on the gravel, then there was no, like, the contact is minimal, And that's even in just stud service. Um, Mm -hmm. Then you go to putting a buck somewhere else for a bit and then getting him back. 
I get nervous about that very quick because my standard of care, but then also what I allow my bucks to do is very different from a lot of other people. And I don't want nonsense. I don't want them to behave badly. There's just so many things that it's not really a viable, viable option for a lot of people. And the thing is, I invest so much money and time into these bucks that I'm fine with you coming to breed them, but he's not going on your property. So I'm very much in that same uh, category or same same team there. Um, I haven't really pushed the last two years as far as driveway breedings goes, mainly because we don't have a lot of Oberhasley breeders central to us where... You know, every time I, I would make a post in the past and say, oh, this book's available for driveway breedings, people are like, oh, my gosh, you're, you're two hours from me. That's too far. I would love to. And it's like, okay, no, that's enough of this. So I haven't really marketed it too much. Probably next year I'll try a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I'm not a fan of letting people borrow my book because, you know, there's – there's just a lot of things that can happen. First of all, bucks do stupid things and someone else's setup might not be appropriate for your buck. Um, and they can just go ahead and get themselves killed. You just never know. Um, plus there's always that biosecurity risk, you know, some, they might have tested, but you know, things happen, weird things happen. So I just don't feel like letting a buck live somewhere is a great idea. Um, you know, I want my buck, to have a doe come to him and she gets bred and she goes and the buck's like, sorry, it's babe. Sorry, babe. It's not you. It's me type deal. And and they leave real quick and then it's all good. So yeah, I'm definitely in the camp of um, even close friends. I just don't want to, I just don't want to risk it. It's just, I mean, I say that, yeah, I'm leasing a buck from a friend. Um, But I think that we're close enough that, and you know, know each other's goals and know each other's herds enough that uh, we trust each other. Uh, but yeah, it's just, as far as just borrowing a buck for breeding season after I'm done using them. Um, no. And then what if I have a doe that comes back in heat that I wanted to breed to him? Well, then all of a sudden I got to ship her over to wherever she he's at. No, that's not, that's not how that works. So uh, right. yeah, it's a big, it's a big no for me. Yeah. And I think that you talking about a least animal and, it's a calculated risk that you and the owner have decided is worth it. And that's the mm-hmm. key. Both of you have decided that the risk of, you know, in this case, John having this buck is and using him on his herd and then eventually going back and going back to his breeder. There's enough merit that, it's going to be okay and work out. But the breeder also is very much aware that it's very possible. He might not get this buck back. And so it's a calculated risk and you just have to decide whether it's worth it or not. And in this case, you both have decided it is. And, you Mm -hmm. know, but then again, maybe it's not, it won't be for you guys. And even the two of you in a year or two, it's just, and not to say anything's going to change in your programs, but it might, this buck that you might want and say, hey, you want to lease again, it might just be too valuable to let go for the other, you know, there's, it's just a risk oh, yeah. you have to calculate and decide if it works or not, so. 
Yeah, and for anybody out there that's leasing bucks from friends or whatever, uh, get them collected. Get that insurance policy. So exactly. That's what. That's what. Hey, that's what we're doing in a week. We're gonna have a live recording of Ringside at a collection. <laughs> oh, are we? <laughs> oh, I don't know. This is nice just, to me. Is, yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. No. I don't, I, well, actually, we can't because we just don't have good uh, Wi-Fi there. Oh, shucks. Sorry, people. Oh, You've been geez. saved. Wi-Fi has saved you yeah. from a uh, live recording collection. Yeah, because the Dutchess County Fair Wi-Fi was just amazing. <laughs> anyway, what's your next, uh, what's your next hot button thing, Daniel? Um, all right. So the last one I want to do, just because I think it's a good way to just kind of, I mean, I know you have one more to do too, but just kind of on these topics and seasonality and breeding season is, are you checking a doe to confirm she's pregnant or just basically being like, eh, I didn't see her heat. She's good. Or are you even going further and ultrasounding a doe? Where are you on this? I So every other year, we do blood draws to check for diseases in our herd. This year happens to be one of those years. So in, I'll probably do it in December, January. We'll draw blood and send it out for testing. And, you know, we'll do um, a preg check probably on there. But uh, for, for me, I don't really, as much as I would love to play with an ultrasound machine and check and see how many is in there and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it doesn't, like, I, I just don't care. Like, if if my does aren't cycling, the ones that I want bred, um, I consider them bred. Um, you know, I have does like Jem, who, as soon as she gets bred, I mean, like, days after being bred, she turns from a sweet girl at the grain trough to beating up everybody, trying to get every ounce of grain. So that's when I know she's bred, because she does it every year. Um, but I just... I'll send in blood if it's a draw year, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste the money on checking. Like I trust what my does are doing and what I'm seeing. So it's a bit, it's a no for me. I like to confirm pregnancy. Uh, I can draw blood very, like I can draw my blood and it's usually I'll wait to do my, um, disease checks for that pregnancy time as well and just if I'm doing that it's just a little you know it's just one more test to do in terms of that I think I'm actually going to consider ultrasounding more just in the fact that I look back at my problem dose in the past couple of years and not necessarily even um, problem problems, but the does who have had the two of my last three quads, the does who have had quads have had problems. And I don't necessarily know if I would feed that much heavier or anything like that, but I do know that every once in a while quads do pop up. It's not as prolific at, on my farm as it is for others, but there are a lot of management things that change if a doe only has a single or if a doe is carrying multiples in terms of feeding programs. So, and the same thing goes for pregnancy too. And 
um, I want to make sure I know that she is pregnant. So come time when they're fluffy and they need to start getting extra feed and is she fluffy or is she pregnant? I know that she should be pregnant. And then the other thing is, is she pregnant or is she really, really pregnant? And she needs a little bit more nutrients because I know that this line doesn't necessarily like handle quads as well. Or if she only has two, she's going to get less or this one has a single. So she can basically coast because she's an easy keeper anyway. There's just things that I feel like pregnancy confirmations and ultrasounds help determine. And I think as people become more and more, uh, versed in ultrasounding goats it's just another tool in our tool belt and i think it's a helpful tool i i get the need for it i really do and i mean i've taken yearling what would be yearling first fresheners to get ultrasounded um actually at your place uh, right. a couple years ago but i just i'm not gonna go out of my way like i'm not gonna be like oh i need to buy a two thousand dollar ultrasound machine or however much they are um, or I'm going to pay the money for my vet to come out and do this. Like my, I, I don't have, first of all, I don't have any juniors kidding and I trust the process, you know? Um, and this could, this moment right here could just mix everything up. And next spring I have a bunch of issues cause I didn't know that I, everybody had quince, you know, but right. for me, it's just on a normal circumstance. I just don't feel the need for me to get that extra information i've been feeding my lines in such a way the last five years that has worked for me i know what's working and what's not working um from previous experience so i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna be like oh yeah let's do this um if the opportunity if you say hey john i've got the vet coming out do you want to check and see how many babies are in those guernseys because those are new for you i'd probably be like yeah um but it's just, it's not like the forefront of what needs to be done, especially since the time of year that we're ultrasounding goats is the time of year where I'm just stupid busy at work. So I really can't, that those hours spent going wherever to get my goats ultrasounded could have been spent cleaning the barn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my thinking on it. Totally justified. So I guess I have the last one, huh? Yes, you do. Hmm. All right, let's let's shoot for the moon. Uh, junior does, since I brought those up, so we're talking about kids from that year. Uh, do you breed them or do you let them be left dry? I'll go for that first and say I typically leave them dry. I mm-hmm. can do this because I put my doe kids in with my milkers when they're about seven months old and they get grain for a little bit but they are low man on the totem pole but they're with my milkers and eating milker quality hay so then they stay dry yearlings and they are kept on just hay but it is a nice quality hay that I would feed to my milkers. And so that is all they get. And they do well on that. If they were in their own pen and just growing and growing and growing, 
then I would probably say that they would be gaining too much weight and I would probably need to breed them because they needed a job. But in my management system, I do not expect my dry yearlings to be the biggest animal at a show. Um, I'm realistic about it and I know that they have to be good in this pen and they're getting nice quality feed but they're just not I'm not pushing for them to grow because I know they're getting plenty big by themselves and they will get where they need to be when they're two or three and it just you know when they mature and so it's not like they're going to be hindered but they are not going to be this beast of a dry yearling in size but then also in heft so I am totally comfortable leaving my coming yearlings dry. And also, I just can't breed that many. And so having the stress of, of, you know, I understand I could call them quick, but if they have two kids each and there's three yearlings, that's an extra six kids I have to handle and manage. And so there's all different things that, for me and my program, most of the time it's easier to just leave them dry and let them kind of hang out and relax and be there so that this way I can freshen other does. Um, but I I do occasionally breed a milking yearling, especially if I have does that are just naturally, naturally going to be a chunk and I can see it's better. But for the most part, um, particularly the last couple of years, I'm just breeding my max without even considering the yearlings. So they get to mm-hmm. stay dry. I totally get that. And it tracks. I mean, for me, um, there are certain lines in my herd. Like I've got one go, one kid that I'm like, Ugh, you should get bred just because I know you're going to be a fatty. But I'm just going to watch her green input and, you know, if she starts getting fat, I'm going to, her and I are going to go on fat walks. Um, or and I've, I've take bred away her grain. <gasps> or take away the grain. I know. <laughs> Novel idea. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. Or take away the grain. It is. I just, who would have thought? Um, yeah, I, I just, for me, I am in the same boat where I'm pretty much max. I'm at max. I mean, if I breed one more goat, I just to Danielle's couch I go, uh, and I don't think <laughs> you I think. don't think Danielle wants that. No, <laughs> Danielle does not want that. I'm gonna drive the RV and, and just kind of squat at your barn. Um, but no, it's just not. It's an just not a as thing. Well, so looks like you're not breeding. <laughs> Oh man, I'm striking out here. Is this, if anybody has a, just a, a enough space for an RV, let me know. Uh, no, but seriously though, I just, I, I've had it work both ways. So I had a milking yearling this year that I think was quite, quite nice. Um, she did well at nationals. She's done well at local shows. Um, but then I've also had, those that I freshened as a 
uh, for to be a milking yearling and their second freshening, they just fall apart because because they've just matured too quick. It just pushed them too much. Um, so I think you have to know your lines. Uh, and for me, it's not a priority. Um, I get that you know people want to show their milking yearlings at nationals or they want to go to a show and get the first place ribbon because they're the only milking yearling in the class. Trust me, I've been there, done that. Um, but for me, it's just it's just not a priority now. Um, in the future, I might. I might have to decide on who's going to get bred for being a milking yearling. Um, but it being a non uh, national show year for me, it just wasn't, wasn't priority. So uh, it's either way for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh no, it really does. And <laughs> I think, I think the other thing is that people use dry yearlings or milking yearlings differently too. So, for instance, some people will freshen all of their their yearlings as milking yearlings so they can cull very quickly and decide which ones stay. And that this way they're not feeding animals for an extra year. Um, or kind of uh, more on my boat of not putting the same resources in um, for a year and letting them be there but not be a drain of the time and the space and those kind of things. So I think it's a deciding where the priorities lie and where your herd is and what you want to do with your herd. And that'll be where you'll find success on whether to keep those juniors dry or to have them in milk as a yearling. Louisville nationals in two years, uh, I'll probably have one or two milking yearlings, but yeah, I agree. Um, I think there's no right answer to that, right? You just have to know your stuff. No, it's it's like everything else that we've talked about. We've had similar mm-hmm. opinions on some things. We've differentiated on others. We know that there's going to be opinions that other people are going to have that are not even close to ours. And there's really, you know, no right answer to these issues. And they're just things we can discuss and talk about and kind of have a friendly debate about danielle we've we've laughed we've gagged we've sighed i think that's a good spot to to just stop the hot button debate for today um and we'll kind of move into closing out the episode so danielle we do have some merch news uh let's hear about that real quick So if you go to our website, dairygoatpodcast.com, and go to our merch store, we do now have a new Tumblr that is perfect for discussing goats and actually (laughs) says I'm discussing goats on it. It can be shipped right to you as as, as well as all of our other merch. So be sure to check that out. And um, I know we keep saying it, but there will be more merch coming soon in the next couple of days. So be sure to keep in touch with us and keep looking at our socials as well for those merch releases. And John, where can they find us on the socials? Oh, well, they can find us on Facebook, uh, Ringside, Dairy Go Podcast. Uh, they can find us on the old Instagram uh, which is ringside underscore goat underscore podcast. And they can find us on the old TikTok, which guys, I promise once once I get a phone that isn't incinerated and broken and I can't post on TikTok, 
uh, we will get up to snuff on there and make some funny videos once again. Um, but yeah, check us out on all of our socials. Uh, reach out to us. Um, and hey, if you like the podcast, go ahead on Apple Podcasts, rate us, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you guys. And yeah, that's about it. Danielle, thank you so much for deciding to stay uh, <laughs> as my co-host. <laughs> I guess I should say my pleasure. <laughs> and I'm glad that you were able to watch the Yankees lose. And for oh, everybody else, <laughs> this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry. <laughs>